All right. Are you guys excited about what's happening at Journey Church? <laughs> There's a lot of great things going on. Let's start off uh, tonight and pray. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you, God, for your kingdom. <clears throat> we thank you, Father, for uh, all of the ways. I, every time we pray, Lord, I can't get, get away from just being overwhelmed with gratitude for the ways that you care for us, the ways that you look out for us, the way that you demonstrate your love towards us. And not only that, God, the way that, uh, the way that you um, have called us into something epic and awesome and wonderful, and not only have you called us to do it, you've equipped us, you've given us authority, and you've given us power to do it. And so, Lord, right now, God, as we look into your word tonight, Help us to find the key to be able to understand this better, get it down deeper in our hearts. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. And it's family weekend. We used to say family Sunday, but we got Saturday night. So it's family weekend, so the kids are here with us. Welcome, kids. Adults, give the kids a hand. Come on. All right. So let's just dive right into this tonight. I'm going to start off in Matthew 16 and verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I will say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now, let's stop, pause just for a second. What rock? What rock is he talking about? He's not talking about Peter. And that can be kind of confusing because Peter's name means rock. But what he's referring to is the revelation that he just talked about that Peter was given. On this revelation of who Jesus is, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, the kingdom of heaven... And the kingdom of God, you hear both of those terms all throughout the Bible, especially throughout the Old Testament, they are interchangeable. They mean the same thing. If you read something, it says, in most cases, it says the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. It's referring to uh, something uh, that is the same thing. Now, we're not talking about heaven as far as, you know, pearly gates, streets of gold, that it's talking about um, a kingdom. So the Bible is not a book about religion. The Bible is not a book about religion. It is a book about a king and a kingdom. And while I was uh, reading and and researching a little bit last week, leading up to this here this weekend, I read an introduction to a book. And I wanted to read you just an excerpt of that right right now because it kind of ties into all this. Let me just read this to you. It says, Misunderstanding Jesus has caused Muslims to reject him, Hindus to suspect him, Buddhists to ignore him, atheists to hate him, 
and agnostics to deny him. But it may just be those who claim to represent him the most, Christians, who have in fact misunderstood and therefore misrepresented him the most. Everything Jesus said and did, his prayers, teachings, healings, and miracles, was focused on a kingdom, not on a religion. Jesus was preoccupied with the kingdom. It was his top priority. Christians have misunderstood him as the founder of a religion and have transformed his teachings and his methods into customs and his activities into rituals. Jesus had only one message, one mandate, and one mission, the return of the kingdom of heaven to earth. Now, if we're going to talk about kingdom for a few minutes here, let's, let's define what a kingdom is. So putting up the, this on the screen, definition of the kingdom is the kingdom is the governing influence of a king over his territory, impacting it with his personal will, purpose, and intent, producing a culture, value, morals, and lifestyle that reflect the king's desire and nature for his citizens. Now, There are things in the kingdom of God that Jesus wanted us to get. And there are things in the kingdom of God that we are supposed to be revealing to the world. That's kind of how it works as ambassadors. Jesus didn't come. Think about this. When Jesus came, there were a lot of people around him making assumptions of what his purpose was, right? And so Jesus didn't come to reform the local government. He didn't come to bring political change to Rome, right? He didn't come to reform the Roman government. And yet he was resisted more, I mean, right up until the end, not by the government, but by religious leaders, And so that's the resistance that he encountered. And I believe that it's religion or religious thinking today that keeps us from seeing, entering, and experiencing the kingdom. Jesus promoted the kingdom and not religion. In fact, he actually opposed religion whenever he encountered it. And let me give you just a quick, real loose definition of religion since we're talking about that so much. Because that can get confusing too. Just think about it like this. God's plan, the way the kingdom of God works, is where God reaches down to man, to mankind, to humanity. God reaching down, sending his son. Religion is man in his own strength trying to reach God. And we see again and again and again and again all throughout the Bible, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, how that fails and does not work. You know, we, we see uh, constantly put before us how on our own, we don't have what it takes to be good enough to, to reach God. This is religion in whatever form it may take, you know, Buddhism, uh, Hinduism, whatever. It's man's attempt to reach God. And that's what Jesus resisted when he encountered it. So I want to read you a couple scriptures real quick before we kind of just jump into this. Matthew 23, 13 uh, through 15 says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. These are the religious leaders. You hypocrites, you shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. 
Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Jesus doesn't mince words. Matthew 5.20, Jesus says again, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said to them, and this is Matthew 21, I tell you the truth, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. And he's talking again to those religious leaders. So from the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus began to make it clear that the answer to the human condition, to humanity's problems, was not a religion, but the kingdom. Matthew 4, 17 says that from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Luke 10, 9, he said, heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. And then Matthew 1, 14, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And then uh, you probably heard Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Again and again and again, Jesus continually talks about the kingdom. And uh, so he came to not set up a government, not to enter the world of politics, not to be a leader in the church at that time. He came to bring the kingdom. And one of the things that happens that I think is pretty common, um, I mean, I know that it's, it's happened for me too, is when we think about Jesus and we think about him coming to the earth and his ministry and his purpose, we go to the cross and we think about how he rescued us, right? Because that's true. He did. Salvation, right? We were doomed to hell. Jesus came. He paid the price for our sin and he rescued us and he set us free. But I want to say this tonight, and we're kind of starting to get into the the meat of the message here. The purpose of the cross was not just to rescue you from hell. Now, it was, that was certainly part of it, but it wasn't just to rescue you from hell. And the cross, in a way, is the door, right? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And so the cross is the door from death into life. But what Jesus was preaching about, if you go back through and you read all the things that he said, all the things that he taught, all the things that he preached, Jesus was preaching about what was beyond the door. And sometimes what happens in our reading of books and singing of songs and talking about things is we get so focused on the door that we don't step on beyond into what's in the door. And that's what Jesus talked about. He talked about the kingdom. And so then what happens is many people struggle with actually living God's promises. Uh, Because even though we sing about them, we talk about them, and we read about them, we don't actually experience them that often. And then we begin to look for a system to, to live those promises, to claim those promises 
And it becomes our own effort, and before you know it, it becomes religion. So we know about the kingdom, but I don't think all of us live in it or experience it. Think about this thing that Jesus said. So Jesus was talking about anxieties or worries that you might have in life. And he, he actually mentioned two of the most basic needs, right? He talked about don't worry about uh, the clothes that you wear. You know, you need clothing, right? And he said, don't worry about the clothes that you wear. A more basic need, food, what you eat. You got to eat to live. He said, don't worry about the things you eat. Don't worry about the, what you wear. Don't worry about what you eat. Seek first God and his righteousness. Is that what he said? Kingdom, thank you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. So those things, those promises are here and they're now, but they're in the kingdom. Remember, we just read in Matthew 16, Jesus said, I will give you the keys to the kingdom. So I have some keys here. Have you guys, have any of you ever lost your keys? Has anybody ever lost your keys in here? It's just me, right? Okay, there's a few other people. Isn't that frustrating? I mean, you're ready to go. The kids are in the car. You're, you might be running late. And you're, you, you have a certain place. If you're like me, there's a certain place where keys are always supposed to be, right? It might be a little hook on the wall. It might be a drawer. But there's a place where you put keys. And if you've got p- different people with different vehicles... You know, this is where we put the keys. And you go there, you're ready to go, and the keys aren't there. And so then you're looking through your pockets, you're looking through the seat cushions, you're asking the kids where the keys are. Because you're kind of held hostage until you find the keys. You need the keys. In other words, it's impossible to get where you need to go without the keys. It's impossible to get where you need to go without the keys. Now, I think it's really interesting that Jesus was saying that the kingdom of heaven has keys. That's interesting to me. There's something pretty powerful there, a powerful truth. The kingdom of heaven has keys. And if a place has keys, people that have the keys are the ones that that get into it. If you come here tomorrow at 6 o'clock in the morning, uh, you will need keys to get into this building. Well, or a code. But let's just say keys. You understand what I'm saying? Um, So only those with keys can enter. And... So thankfully, he gives us keys. He said himself, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And so today, I want to look at one of those keys. Okay, Matthew 19. This is kind of our central verse right here. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could lay his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. But Jesus said, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. And he placed his hands on their heads 
and blessed them before he left. Do you ever read through the Bible and hit a verse and your brain just says, what was that? What was that all about? And I know that happens to me all the time, and I, sometimes I'll make a mental note and go back and dig a little deeper. This is one of those verses, though, for a long time, because really, and just follow with me here, I'm, what is it about kids? What's so special in the context of what Jesus is talking about? What is so special about kids? Why are they different? Why, what do they have that adults don't have? Is it their innocence? Is it their sense of wonder? Why did Jesus say that? Now, the disciples in this little story here, you got to remember that Jesus was still kind of working this religious thinking out of the disciples. And the disciples wanted to just write these children off because religion marginalizes kids because they don't have anything as far as religion can see to offer or to bring to the table. But listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 18.10. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones because their angel is in heaven seeing the face of the Father. Now despise right here, that means to think less of, to think less of. And so what Jesus is saying is, be very careful, be very careful that you do not think less of children just because they're children, because they have a special connection to the Father. Now, when I was a kid, we lived, I grew up in St. Joe, wherever north is. And um, when I was a little kid, there was a place in St. Joe. Anybody grow up in St. Joe from, around, from here in this room? Okay. Maybe if you're the right age range, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. When I was a kid, there was a place in St. Joe that had the best pizza that had ever been made in the history of the world. It was the best. I mean, it was so good. I still remember, I haven't had this pizza for almost 40 years, and I still remember what it tastes like. And so this place was called Dapper Dance. That's the name of this place. And I have a little, this is all I could find in all of the World Wide Web. This is all, this is the only snippet I could find was a coupon. But I wanted to show you that it, was, it existed. I'm not making it up. So Dapper Dance was this place. Now, I just want to describe it to you real quick to give you kind of a picture. When you walked in to Dapper Dance, to the left, there was a big window. And uh, you, you, that's where they were making the pizzas. And they had, if you were an adult, you couldn't get up against the window because they had this, this uh, kind of level uh, bench kind of a thing that was up against the wall so that kids could get on there and look through the window. And you could see the guys in there with the white coats and the hat and everything, like throwing the dough up in the air and making the pizza. It was awesome. And then 
you would leave that area, and uh, again, this is totally, totally dating me, but that's totally fine. I don't know if you ever remember going into like, you know, Kmart or, or those types of department stores, and they would have, remember how they would have those like horses and motorcycles and things like that, and you'd put a quarter in and you could like ride them for a little bit? But you never could because your parents never had a quarter or they wouldn't give you a quarter. So you always had to just kind of get drug and walked by them. Okay, so in Dapper Dan's, they had this like raised platform in the middle of this restaurant that was full of those things. And there were no uh, quarter slots. They all just had light switches. And so you could get up there. You could ride all of them for free. And then your parents would come and get you and say, the pizza's cut here. And you wanted to get off the ride because the pizza was so good. So Dapper Dan's was like a magical, wonderful experience that you left full and happy and you wanted to know when you could come back. But the thing about Dapper Dan's that I remember the most is the entrance to the restaurant had these, had the, they had the regular glass and metal doors, you know, that every business has. But then they also had these little doors that I remember being kind of rounded they, and they called them monkey doors. So they had like these monkeys painted on them and it said monkey doors. And these doors were just for kids. They were just for kids. And it was like about that tall. So kids would go through this door. And it's like the restaurant was saying to, to children, we value you so much that you get your own door to come in to Dapper Dance. And, you, and I loved, it's just a door, but I loved going through the monkey doors. Okay. It's like Jesus is saying in this verse that we just read, the kingdom of heaven has monkey doors and no other kind of door. You see what I'm saying? It's like Jesus is saying, going into the kingdom of heaven you go through a monkey door and there are no other doors. That's the way in. And, and that's, what, um, that's not me. That's what Jesus said. Look at that same verse that we just read. This is from the Passion Translation. I kind of like the way it says it. Jesus overheard them and said, I want little children to come to me, so never interfere with them when they want to come. For heaven's kingdom realm is composed of beloved ones like these. Listen to this truth. No one will enter the, king, the kingdom realm of heaven unless he becomes like one of these. Monkey doors. Monkey doors. Okay, now I have a guest today, tonight, tomorrow it'll be today, that I want to bring up. And so I want to invite Kylie, my daughter, to come up here and just sit down. Everybody give her a hand. So what Jesus was saying in that scripture we just read is that the kingdom of heaven is made up of people that look like this, okay? Now, I think that's cool, and, and I, I love it because I know that it's good, but there is a part of me that wants to understand that because there's a part of me that doesn't quite get it. I mean, I get it and I don't get it. I mean, there's probably reasons and the innocence and the sense of wonder and all that, 
But Jesus is making a very, very bold statement when he says, listen to this truth, no one will enter the kingdom realm of heaven unless he becomes like one of these. And so in my mind and in my heart, I want to understand why. So what is it about children that gives them access to God's kingdom? Now, there may be several answers to this question, and there probably are. It's probably not just one thing. And so you, you're, in your mind, you may be making a list right now. And I'm saying that because at the end, when the service is over, you know, if you're tempted to come up and say, well, now, there was also this and this and this. I know, I know there may be multiple things, but I want to focus in on one thing that I think could be the main thing that Jesus is talking about. Now, Kylie here, Kylie believes what I tell her. She believes it. Do you believe what I tell you? She does. And why do you think that is? Is it because she'll get in trouble if she doesn't? No. Is it because when I make a statement to Kylie, she applies the scientific method and observes empirical evidence and draws a logical conclusion. No. Kylie believes, listen, here's, we're talking about a key to access the kingdom of heaven. Kylie believes what I tell her because of who I am. And she may not believe what you tell her, but she believes what I tell her. And there's a reason why I brought my daughter up here and not someone else's son or daughter. Kylie believes what I tell her because of who I am, because there is a relationship between us. So it's because I'm her dad, and she believes what I say because of the trust that she has in me. So there's an active relationship right here, father-daughter, father-daughter. What we're talking about is trust. Trust. So trust creates a bond. Trust creates a bond. Now, think about way back in the beginning, right? Genesis chapter 2. It talks about how God created this wonderful place on earth called Eden. And in Eden there was a garden. And in the garden, Adam and Eve were there. And it was this wonderful experience. And they, they, enjoyed, they enjoyed this wonderful relationship, connection, and bond with the Father, with God. And there's something mysterious about Adam and Eve because before sin came and before they fell and all of that, they did not have a concept of good and evil, right? They didn't know the difference. They didn't have an idea of being able to make a judgment of this is a good thing, this is an evil thing. What they did have, which was superior, is they had a pure and complete connection and trust with the Father. And so whatever the Father told them was absolute truth unquestionable, 
completely believable, absolute truth. So there wasn't a need for them to have an individual ability to judge good from evil, right from wrong. They had a connection with the Father. So when the serpent came into the garden, his goal was to break that bond and was to, and to tempt them to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and break that connection and sever it. And that's what happened. And so when that happened, the flow of life was severed and death entered. So we have to understand how important it is to trust. Trust creates a bond. God wants your trust. Trust also reveals a relationship. Trust reveals a relationship. You know that it's not difficult to... uh, I'm really trying to think about how I say this. It's not difficult to act like a Christian, right? It's not hard to do that. I mean, you can memorize a few verses. You can know some of the songs that are on the radio. You can go to church every once in a while. And you can fool people and you can fool yourself. But trust, real trust, reveals a relationship. Psalms 9 verse 10 says, And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. The Father is waiting for you to trust him. The Father is waiting. God has already gone to great lengths to demonstrate his love, to save you, to rescue you, to bless you, to give you peace, to give you hope. And he is right now waiting for you to trust him. He's waiting for you to trust his goodness, to expect to see his favor and his blessing in your life. And I have a short video I want to play right now to just illustrate this idea that God has already reached out and he's waiting for you to trust and reciprocate. Let's go ahead and roll that video. As I told you, my dad owned a company growing up and... um, For some reason, my dad loved to collect silver dollars. Back then, you could collect silver dollars. Every time he'd go to a bank or something, he'd see if they had any silver dollars, and he'd buy them, and he'd put them in this piggy bank. I remember he showed them to me one time. And um, when I was a teenager, I started taking silver dollars out of the piggy bank. Uh, Just two or three, you know, and then four or five or whatever. And again, I didn't get saved till after Debbie and I got married. But after I got saved, I remembered this. And I thought, I need to make restitution. And I estimated that the most I'd probably taken was 100. So scripture talks about fivefold. A thief restores fivefold. And so, and that's in Exodus 22. It's fourfold and fivefold. And so I said, um, so I wrote a, my dad a check for $500 one day. And I confessed to him. I said, I used to... Um, to take silver dollars out of your piggy bank. And, and um, he said, I, you don't need to write me this check. I said, I, I know. He said, you don't need to write. I said, I know, Dad, but I need to make restitution. But here's what he said. He said, you don't need to write me this check. He said, I forgave you a long time ago. 
I said, you mean you, you knew that, that I was stealing these silver dollars? He said, oh, yeah. I said that. How'd you know? Because I thought I was stealthy. I said, how'd you know? He said, well, son, I was putting silver dollars in every week, and my piggy bank was getting lighter. Didn't take a genius. I said, so why didn't you confront me? My dad's a very godly man. He said, I was wanting you to repent. He's just like our heavenly father. Our heavenly father, he's already forgiven you through Christ. He's already forgiven you. But he'd like to restore to you what the enemy has stolen from you. And he'd like to remove the guilt and the shame that you feel. God, help us trust you. When we trust God, it has an interesting effect on us because it kind of reminds us of our relationship with God. If you've kind of grown cold and stale and you feel like the life has kind of just dwindled away, trusting God restores the, because again trust creates a bond trusting god restores a lot of that it connects us with his love and his power and his strength now also trust opens the kingdom door trust opens the kingdom door people talk about life verses and things like that And in Proverbs chapter 3, there is, uh, I believe it's 3 through 5. I don't have a single life verse or whatever, but this would be in my top 10. And what it says is this. It's so powerful. It says, trust the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. Listen to that again. Trust the Lord with all your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. Now notice, it's not saying that it's wrong for you to have understanding, right? There's nothing, it's not sinful or uh, of little faith to have an understanding of what's going on. But don't lean on it. Where is your trust? So, If you find yourself in a place where you hear yourself saying things like, I don't know what's going to happen. The landlord's after me. I don't know when I'm going to get enough to to buy food. I don't know how we're going to make ends meet. I don't know what's going to happen. The doctor's report says this. I don't know what's going to happen with this relationship. And you hear the fear. You hear the anxiety. You hear the worry. You need to look at those as symptoms that you're leaning on your understanding because you do have understanding of what's going on 
I mean, there isn't any single person in this room that gets to avoid trials and hard times and just junk and mess in life. But what Proverbs chapter 3 is saying is don't lean on your understanding. Trust the Lord. And then a couple verses later, it says this will bring healing and strength. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you needed healing and strength? I know I have. So there are promises in God's word that have been given. But in some cases, they haven't been received. So one more illustration with Kylie here. So I'm going to give Kylie this candy bar. Now because she did such a good job sitting in the chair. Now, I've done all the work. Actually, Becky DeWitt gave me this candy bar. I was going to say I went and bought it at the store. So I guess I haven't done all the work. Becky had something to do with it. But I'm providing this candy bar, and I'm giving it to her. And it's hers. This belongs to her. It's not for anybody else. Actually, she does have to share it with her twin brother, David. But... For the sake of this example, I am giving her this candy bar, but she still has to come and get it. See how that works? There are promises in God's word that have been given, but they haven't been received. You have to take it. And another kind of interesting thing about that, you don't take, she's not going to take candy from strangers. We all know you're not supposed to do that. But her father is not a stranger. And what she gets from her father is trustworthy. You can trust your father. And then last of all, trust is a choice. Trust is a choice. It doesn't just happen. In fact, it never just happens. Your, probably your default uh, response is to not trust because it's in human nature. But we have to make the choice to trust. Listen Psalms 112 verse 7 is talking to the righteous. And it says, he is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. Nobody ever said that it's easy to turn your eyes on Jesus, look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Nobody said that's easy to turn your eyes on Jesus in the midst of a raging storm. But it's a choice you can make. And you know, my kids, when something scary is happening, they want to know where I am and they want to be where I am. In fact, It's totally a strange, ironic thing. But last night I was here working on this message and we had the big storm and power failure and and they thought that somebody was outside the house. And so while I was working on this message, I got the phone call to come home. But we have to believe that God is who he says he is, that God is for us, and that he's worthy of our trust. So, learning to trust God 
the way that a healthy child trusts a healthy father or mother. That is a key. That is a key to the kingdom of God, to enter, to experience the kingdom of heaven. Now, as we wrap it up, I want to ask the band to come back up here. I have a couple quick assignments for you because I'm always all about let's not just sit and, li- and like it's a classroom and listen to a talk. Let's have something to do. Let's act. Let's respond. So two things. First of all, and parents, these are really for you. Number one, make a decision right now tonight that you are going to learn to trust the father in a way that a healthy child trusts a healthy parent. There is, a, there is an absolutely pure trust right there. There's no questioning. There's no, well, I will if, or maybe I will. It's, I believe God is who he says he is. He's good. I don't just sing about God being good. I believe it, and I act on it. Learn to trust God in that way, like Jesus said. And then number two, and this is really important. Parents, remember that your kids are there now. Think about that story we read in the beginning. Kids are coming to Jesus. The disciples are saying, get those kids out here. Jesus is like, stop that. Let them come to me. These are the people. These are the kind of people right here. Take a quick, take a good look at them. These are the kind of people that will inherit, enter, and inhabit the kingdom of God. Your kids are there now. I have seen amazing, miraculous things happen through kids for many, many years. I've seen amazing things. I've seen physical healing. I've seen emotional healing. I've seen financial miracles. I have, with my own eyes, seen people get physically healed like that when a child who simply believes in Jesus lays their hands on him and prays for him. Why is that? Because there is a trust when you tell them this is what the Bible says and it's true. And if you pray and you believe God, this, they believe it. And that trust is there. And so parents, remember your kids are in that place. The same Holy Spirit that lives in you lives in them. Think about that. They don't have like Holy Spirit Junior. They have the same Holy Spirit, the same power, this power that raised Jesus from the dead is in them just like it's in you. The difference is they have a pure trust. And so do not underestimate what God can do through your kids. Look for opportunities for your kids and your grandkids to pray for people, to be involved in ministry, to listen to what God is saying. We just concluded a, a, a class that lasted a couple months here on Sunday afternoons about kids walking with God, kids hearing from God. Encourage your kids to move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So not, all, not only is it not too early, remember they are the examples. They're the kind of people that Jesus said, 
enters and experiences the kingdom of heaven. Let's all stand up. I want to pray. And then we're going to do this song. Jesus, we say that we do seek your kingdom, Lord. We seek your kingdom. You called us to seek your kingdom. A place where your values, your morals, your culture reigns supreme. Everything that is in your kingdom, it's what we desire, Lord God. And so, God, I pray that you make us a people who trusts. A people who believes what you say. Who trusts you because you're our father and you're good and we know it and we believe it. And you only desire good things for us. Create that in our heart. We ask you to do it right now. We open ourselves up to you.